ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم فان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so welcome today to this uh, lecture which is on the topic of atheism uh, its causes and its cures and this was really a, a, a lecture on short notice uh, the topic itself is uh, deep and complex and requires a lengthy treatment so what we're going to try to do today inshallah ta'ala is just try to introduce uh, the the topic and try to look at try to understand some of the history uh, behind how mostly the western nations how they operate and how they run which is based upon these ideas of you know naturalism materialism atheism and just look at the uh, again the brief history be- behind how they have come to this uh, scenario or this situation and looking at some of the causes as to why muslims are affected by atheism why they become apostates and through that we will understand the causes of the problem and also at the same time uh, understand how to remedy the, the problem by looking at the underlying uh, causes so i want to start today by reading from this excellent work by imam as-sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala one of the great scholars from the last century uh, he died in 1376 hijra around the 1950s i believe mid of the last uh, century and in general he has really good works in relation to this topic of contemporary ideologies and philosophies and atheism and a lot of benefit can be taken from uh, his writings especially uh, in those works where he extracts benefits from the likes of Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ibn al-Qayyim and you know some of the great scholars of the past now this is one of those such books al-adillatu al-qawati' wal-barahin fi ibtali usul al-mulhidin which is in general the meaning is definitive evidences and proofs for the falsification for the invalidation of the foundations of the atheists and what is done in this book is taken he presents 83 points 83 principles or points of refutation against some of the foundations upon which uh, atheism itself uh, is built I want to start with the introduction because it is a beautiful introduction a nice way to introduce our topic today inshallah ta'ala so after praising Allah and sending salat and salam upon the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says amma ba'd to proceed fa inna Allah ta'ala ba'atha rusulahu mubashshirin wa munzirin wa ja'alahum al-hudat wal a'imma ila kulli ilmin sahih nafi' wa dinin sahih وَإِلَى كُلِّ صَلَاهٍ وَخَيْرٍ He said to proceed, indeed Allah the Most High, He sent His messengers as those who bring good news and those who warn. And He made them to be guides, meaning those who guide, and as leaders that direct the people to every sound beneficial knowledge. To every sound beneficial knowledge and to everything in which there is rectification and goodness okay so the prophets and messengers what do they come with they come with sound knowledge sound knowledge and they come with beneficial action keep this in mind because it will be significant when we come later on to look at how these societies how they operate and how they function so the messengers and prophets bring uh, sound knowledge and beneficial action action in which there is rectification for the individual and likewise for the society so this is in general this is what the prophets and messengers come with 
Then he says, وَخَصَّ مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ بِأَنْ جَعَلَهُ خَاتَمَهُمْ وَإِمَامَهُمْ So he made Muhammad وسلم, uh, very special and specific in the sense that he made him to be the seal of all the prophets and messengers and the imam, the leader of all the prophets and messengers. And he revealed upon him the book and the wisdom. So these are two things, the book and the wisdom. So within the book and the wisdom is guidance and truth and light. What does the book and the wisdom contain that Muhammad that he came with? What does it contain? It contains beneficial sciences and truthful realities. Truthful it brings it speaks truthfully about realities and virtuous qualities, akhlaq, mannerisms, and righteous deeds, righteous actions which are beneficial, and lofty etiquette, al-adab, al-aliyah, lofty etiquette, lofty manners. So because the book and the wisdom came with all of these five things, then every type of knowledge, every type of perfection, returns back to the book and the wisdom. Everything which is ilm, which is ilm, sound knowledge, everything in which there is wisdom, it always refers back to the book and the wisdom because that's the fountain and the foundation of everything. From it springs everything. Beneficial sciences, beneficial conduct, beneficial laws, um, lofty mannerisms, lofty traits, lofty qualities, and so on and so forth. So within the book and the wisdom, Allah and the Messenger have explained all of the masail, all of the issues, the knowledge-based issues, the evidences, the realities, the, the things that bring about certainty, the things which are definitive evidences. So whoever looks and understands, he will find all of that in the book and the wisdom. Whoever holds fast to them both, to the book and the wisdom, and guides himself by them, then he will be happy in this life and the next. وَمَنْ أَعْرَضَ عَنْهُمَا أَوْ عَارَضَهُمَا And as for the one who turns away from them or who clashes with them, then he will ضَلَّ عَنِ الْهُدَى He will be misguided away from guidance. وَالشَّقِيَ He will be wretched. And he will, he will fall into basically loss and ruin. So after this introduction, establishing that the prophets and, messen prophets and messengers and the books that they bring, that they bring, these affairs of beneficial knowledge and righteous action. Then he says, The greatest of people who deviate from the book and the wisdom, the greatest of those, which are the, the atheists who are philosophers and the what we call the Dahriyeen, which are basically the ones who believe that uh, uh, matter is eternal, the universe is eternal, and there is no resurrection, there is no hereafter. So they basically believe that life and death just continue in a cycle, and there's no creator. <coughs> and so they are known as the Dahriyeen, which, which we shall speak of shortly, inshallah ta'ala. So these people, they are the greatest of enemies and the greatest of disputants and who swerve away from the book and the wisdom. As he says himself to Shaykh, They are the greatest of the enemies of the messengers. In every time and in every place. This is true. Uh, today the greatest of the enemies to Islam are the, the, uh, and to religion in general. So they, it's not just Islam. They, they are against Christianity. They're against Judaism. Uh, anything which has attachment to a revealed book, the greatest of the enemies are the, these types of uh, atheist philosophers and the dahriyin, the, the, the materialists or the existentialists, the naturalists, those kind of people.
and they are the most evil of creation. الدعات إلى الضلال والشقاء. They are the they are the people who invite to misguidance and to wretchedness, because he says فإنهم تصدوا لمحاربة الأديان كلها. Because they have put themselves forward, they have you know specifically come out and set aside their time, effort, resources, money, everything, in order to combat religion in general. And shaitan has beautified for them the various sciences by which they rejoice. Right? So these people, they, they have shubuhat, they have misconceptions, they have doubts, they have conjectures upon which they build their war or their battle against the revealed books and the sent messengers. So he says, they have, shaitan has beautified for them their sciences by which they rejoice and on account of which they have belittled or looked down upon what the messengers came with. And then he mentions an ayah in the Quran, فَلَمَّا جَاءَتْهُمْ رُسُلُهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ فَرِحُوا بِمَا عِنْدَهُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ That when the messengers came to them, meaning the disbelieving nations, those people, they rejoiced with whatever they possessed of knowledge. Right, this is in Surah Ghafir, Surah 40, verse number 83. So whenever the messengers came to their, to their respective people, those people would rejoice in whatever sciences, whatever knowledge they had with them. And this again is true uh, in, in our time, as, as we shall discuss, inshallah ta'ala, the very sciences of the disbelievers and how they have convinced the people that these are certainties, unquestionable certainties, which cannot be denied. And by this they deceive uh, the people and rejoice with, with the knowledge that they have. So he continues, However, at the end of the affair, what happened to those past nations is that the things that they used to mock at, they would mock the believers who believed in the unseen. They would mock the believers who believed in who believe in resurrection and accountability and you know affairs of this nature, their mockery fell back upon themselves. And whatever you know power they had, authority they had, knowledge they had, sciences they had, technology they had, all of that was unable to save them when the punishment of Allah Azza when it finally came upon them. And then he says, He said that they have established for their falsehood many false foundations in which they blindly follow each other. They blindly follow each other in these false foundations upon which they build their atheism and naturalism and so on and so forth. And he says, They are the essence or the extremity of corruption. He says, it is sufficient for the intelligent person to simply just to think about them in his mind for him to establish evidences for their futility to invalidate them. Because they oppose al-aql, they oppose sound reason and they oppose naql, they oppose sound revelation but however they have they have simply beautified them that's all they've done they've beautified them and they have spread them amongst the people and as a result of which most of the creation have become deceived so this is, is a beautiful introduction from imam al-sa'di and the rest of the book is simply uh, an elaboration point by point to refute the various foundations uh, so perhaps that is, is a subject of another series of lessons. So once this is clear, we've taken from this introduction now from Imam al-Sa'di ta'ala that the prophets and messengers, they come with beneficial knowledge, righteous action, and they bring with them uh, beneficial sciences and establish evidences in the clearest and the most apparent of ways. And the greatest of the enemies to these prophets and messengers are the philosophers, atheists, naturalists, and the materialists. And they've existed for many, many uh, centuries or millennia. They're not something new. They've always been very, very, very small in number. Well, that's the difference. 
They've been very, very small in number. However, for various factors in the past century or so, they have increased tremendously. And we should look at the reasons for that, inshallah ta'ala. So after the statement of Imam al-Sa'dir, we want to move on to another statement from one of the contemporary scholars, Sheikh Salih al-Sheikh, hafizahullah ta'ala. And in this statement, the question he was asked was just generally about evil and sin and disobedience becoming commonplace within Muslim nations and why the scholars and the rulers don't appear to be doing anything about that. And he gives a lengthy answer. The first part of the answer, uh, I'll quickly summarize, he basically says that there are certain times and situations in which the affair goes beyond the control of the scholars or the rulers. Right? There are certain times and places in which Allah Azawajal, when he wants to bring a trial and tribulation to an entire nation, then it is an, an affair that goes beyond the ability of the scholars or the rulers to really stop this tribulation or this trial. Why? Because this is Allah Azawajal bringing his trial to a people. Right? Now this question was in the context of you know, some of the, the, the Muslim lands, uh, such as you know, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf countries and those places where you see now that the people, it's not something, it's something that the people, their hearts have been turning to for a very long time. Right? So in those societies there are two types of people. There are those people who benefited from the scholars and the presence of the masajid and from the admonitions in the sermons and from the general goodness you can find in those societies, right? There is Tawheed, there is Sunnah, there are scholars admonishing, there are reminders, and it's all around, you can't really escape from it, it's all around you, right? The Khair, the goodness. So there are some people who benefited from their Iman. They have Iman, and then they took the opportunity to benefit from that Iman, in the sense that they went to knowledge, they went to scholars, they went to the Masajid, and likewise, they inculcated their families upon with this nurturing, right, to keep away from the evil. So there are some people in that nation who are like that. There are other people in that nation who when the doors began to open to evil and filth and tribulation, so for example, that would be the cultures of Western nations, uh, the music, the Hollywood, and all of the other, the baggage which comes with it, right, the imitation of the artists and the actors and the actresses and the whatever else, right? And just the uh, enjoyment of pleasures and, you know, uh, all the frivolity and everything. There are some people <coughs> who were drawn towards that, right? Whilst they're in the midst of all of this sea of goodness. So over time, that society, more and more of that society begins to turn to these kind of things. Even though it's difficult for them to access these things, just because of the, the society is generally religious. So now what happens is, when a people, they persist and, and, and persist in wanting and pursuing those things, then a time will come when Allah will open up the doors of tribulation for them. So there will then be two types of people in that society. Those people who benefited from the Iman and from whatever was available to them. So now they are the ones who will be protecting themselves even more. And the other party, the other party will be those who basically wanted what they wanted. So now Allah has opened up the door for them and given them what the hearts wanted. Right? They chose misguidance for themselves because that is what their hearts actually were pursuing. So the point being in this question, the Sheikh, what Sheikh Salih al-Sheikh is saying, uh, is uh, ex in, in answering this question as to why is it that the scholars and the rulers are not doing anything, we see so much evil and tribulation. Well, this matter goes beyond, this, this is the, the action of Allah Azawajal. It goes beyond what the scholars and rulers are able to do. And, you know, we, we see in this the action of Allah, the wisdom of Allah. And this is something that is so vast on, a, on such a scale that the Sheikh is saying that because you have all of these affairs such as the, the internet, the TV, the satellite and so on and so forth, it's beyond the ability of even any nation 
Even Western nations cannot control the influence that is coming by way of this, you know, this technology and this access and whatever. So we can clearly see that this is something by which whole nations are being put to trial. And not just Muslim nations, even Western nations are being put to trial. And so even as you see in the Western nations, whether there are Jews and Christians and so on, so forth, even those nations are being put to trial because there are things that they, that they don't like, like you have the, the homosexual movement, right? you have the, uh, the, the, the transgender movement, all these movements are appearing, they come from atheism and naturalism. They don't, they don't have a basis in revealed books. Right? They are coming from everything that comes from atheism, naturalism, materialism, uh, lifestyle philosophies and so on and so forth. This is what, where the root of these things come from. And so now you see even these what used to be traditionally Christian family value societies, right? they are being affected by, by, by the likes, likes of this. So the point being, after answering this question, he comes to the end of... Um, at the end of this, which is, where the, which is what I wanted to quote, he says, he says, look, how do we deal with these kind of situations where there are tribulations engulfing the whole society? He says that you must establish Iman into the hearts of the people. You have to, you have to you know, implant this Iman and make it firm in the hearts from a very young age. Right? Then he says, as a side point, I want to add a footnote to this point here. He says, Do not be lax about the spread of atheism. He says it again, Do not be lax about the spread of atheism. He says, You will see uh, you know, two, two, two types of atheism, whether it is Al Ilhad Al Nafi or Ilhad al Shak. Because there's two types of atheism. One is which is just clean negation, uh, and one which is just the spreading of doubt. Right? He says, both these two types, you see them, they, they are spread. They are spread. He says, لَازِمْ تَعْرِفُونَ هَذِهِ الْمُشْكِلَةِ It is binding and necessary that you know this problem. It is spread. Whether we, whether we are speaking about just strong atheism, which is outright denial, or whether it is just the issue of doubt, which is like weak atheism. He says, you will see a new generation of the Shabab. The previous generations never knew this. We never knew this type of atheism or this type. But the new generation, it is spreading and it is increasing and it requires positive action. He says that we must increase in presenting the various evidences of Tawheed. Of Rububiyyah, meaning that you learn and you teach and you understand the evidences of Tawheed in his Rububiyyah with respect to his existence, and to explain them to the people in a way that they understand, for them to know them, and likewise to emphasize them and to repeat them, until even in the mosques of Allah. And obviously he says, look, in the mosque you're going to find believers. We are all believers here. No one here really doubts. They're all believers. But because of this problem, the evidences for Allah's rububiyyah must be taught, and they must be repeated. So he continues emphasizing, emphasizing this point, and he says that these affairs are from the most extreme of importance. He's basically saying that even though we are already believers, even though we already believe, you have to understand that Muslims are often raised not differently from the way, for example, a Jew or a Christian or a Buddhist is raised. Right? He follows tradition, he follows his parents. And we're going to cover this topic a bit later, inshallah ta'ala. And so there's a danger when a people are raised without really truly understanding falsehood in detail and the evidences against that falsehood in detail. When a people are raised, just for example, believing in Islam and, and so on and so forth, without being taught what the Sheikh is saying here, the, the specific evidences of Tawheed, of Rububiyyah, of, of, of Allah's existence and so forth, then those people will be prone to having shuck at some point later on if they are not prepared to deal with the kind of doubts that, that, will, that will come to them. So, you know, this is what you tend to see happen in a lot of Muslim nations. The children are told to go to the masjid. They are told to memorize the Qur'an. Right? So they learn the Arabic alphabet and they will memorize the Qur'an. They can read off the Qur'an, but they can't obviously 
speak or understand Arabic, but can memorize the Quran. And beyond that, they are given only very superficial knowledge, right, at a very superficial level. What are the six pillars of Iman? Belief in Allah, the angels, the books, the messengers, at a very superficial level. And people are just generally brought up in this manner. And that understanding of the Quran, an understanding of the stories of the prophets, an understanding of the arguments that took place between the prophets and those to whom they were sent, and the nature of the evidences, and rooting those evidences into the hearts and minds of the children, we know that that is largely absent from many, many, many Muslim nations. And this is one of the factors which has led today, when with the presence of the you know, internet and whatever else, when the doubts come and they fall like an avalanche, the doubts and misconceptions like an avalanche and they fall upon the hearts and minds, the hearts and minds are unable to repel these doubts. And so many, many of those people who are weak, you know, they become, they become misguided. So that was what the Sheikh was, was indicating. And I wanted to begin with those two statements from those two scholars uh, to introduce the topic itself. So obviously that's taken quite a bit of time. So starting then, we should establish the first point, which is that the evidences which establish the rububiyya, which means that there is a lord, a creator, an owner, a regulator, a controller. The evidences which establish the rububiyya of Allah are already, are already present. Right? They are, they're already established. And they fall into four categories. First of all, by way of the fitra, the fitra, the fitra is something that we have inside of us, as the scholars explain, like Ibn al-Qayyim ibn Taymiyyah, the fitra is something just like you are born with the ability to speak, even though you cannot speak when you are born, but you are born with the ability to speak, right? And you are born with the ability to walk, even though you cannot walk when you, when you are born. Likewise, there is something called the fitra, which you are born with, which gives you the ability to accept sound beliefs and beneficial actions. Right? The fitra is drawn towards these things. If the fitra is left by itself, you will be drawn towards sound beliefs and beneficial actions. If there's, no, if there's nothing that comes in the way any impediments or anything else. In, in a similar manner, if you are born free of any defects, you will eventually go on to walk and you will go on to speak, unless there are some impediments that come in the way. In a similar manner, the fitra is likewise. The fitra is your capacity and ability to know and to believe in sound beliefs and to accept sound actions. And so within this fitra, there are certain universals, there are certain universal things which you know, for example, uh, that the, the one thing cannot be in two places at the same time. A child playing with the toys knows this, right? A child, when it sees the toy and it's over there, it's not going to look over there and over there to look for the same thing because it knows that something can only be in one place, can't be in two places at the same time. So there are certain universals, right? Likewise, uh, from those universals is that you expect retaliation for injustice. A child automatically knows this, right? And Ibn Taymiyyah gives an evidence says when a child, for example, falls or hurts itself, you know, by a chair, for example, or something, and when the parent comes and it, and it you know, slaps or hits the, the object, then the child stops crying, right? Because there's, there's something there which is like an inherent sense of justice that the child is able to understand emotionally. Right? So these things are present within, within, within the child, the anticipation of justice. So the point being, there are, there are certain things present in the fitrah, and one of those things is the existence of a creator. This does not require any thinking, any observation, any intellect. It's, it's inbuilt and embedded. Right? And a child will, 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 will grow up wanting to be grateful to this creator, so long as it is not taken away from that fitrah by any kind of brainwashing, indoctrination, or something like, you know, be taught idol worship or taught whatever else, right? The child will naturally go on to hold 
sound sound belief in that regard. So by way of fitra, by way of his, secondly number two, his his is basically just sensory perception and just experience, just physical experience. This is without even using reason. We're not talking about reason here. This is just his, meaning sensory perception, like what you see, what you feel. Uh, you know, you eat something, and you know that that when you eat. Your body is designed in such a way that it will take the benefit out of that food that you eat and excrete what is not useful, right? Just, just everyday, day-to-day -day experience that you have, right? This is this is a hiss and what you see, mushahad, what you see and observe, just by that alone, without even requiring 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 reason, aql. That's the second type. The third type is aql itself, reason, rational evidences. There are many, many rational evidences, and fourthly. There is naql, which is sound revelation. So the point being that the evidence for the existence of a creator is already established by way of these roots. And just by mere reflection upon what we see of creation, of life and death, the cycles of life and death in everything that we see around us, humans being born, humans dying, plants, you know... Uh, uh, arising then dying and what we see of Allah raising some people humiliating others guiding some misguiding others um, saving some destroying others giving to some people withholding to other people or everything that we see and observe all of that is an indication of the actions of Allah <clears throat> this indicates the actions of Allah and the actions of Allah in turn give evidence to his attributes and his attributes in turn give evidence to his essence right so this is very very simple reasoning it is a simple a saying as we've said many many times just the mere existence of this bottle just the fact that this bottle exists is in itself direct empirical evidence that the maker of this bottle exists it's as simple as that and the mere fact that this creation exists with all of its particular details, is itself, in and of itself, a direct evidence of its creator and maker. It's as simple as that. The reasoning is very, very, very simple. However, when we are indoctrinated and brainwashed with speculations and conjectures and doubts and misconceptions, it becomes very, very difficult to see the simplicity of this, of this reasoning. Right? When I say to you, that the mere existence of this bottle is in itself a direct evidence of the maker of the bottle. This is very simple and straightforward. No one is going to deny this. And the one who denies this, you would see him to be mad. The same thing applies to the creation. Except that many layers of doubts and confusion have been put in the middle so that you can't see the simplicity of, 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 of the evidence. Similar to how we can see it with this example here, right? And that's how they've constructed all of these shubuhat and doubts and so on and so forth. So this is why in the Quran, Allah Zawajal, He said about the messengers, "Qalat rusuluhum, shak, So He said, the messengers said to the people to whom they were sent, "Is there any doubt regarding Allah? Is there any doubt about His existence?" the originator of the heavens and the earth right so this thing is not in doubt this is not something doubt is only about those things for which there is you know something which is hidden and not apparent doubt can only be applied to those things but as for what that which is open apparent evident and something which you experience <coughs> yourself with your senses there's no doubt about that whatsoever. <coughs> this is why the evidence for Allah's existence is apparent everywhere, all around, in the phenomena, in the signs that we see, the sun, the moon, the motion, the calculation, the timing, right? In, in everything that we see, all of that is clear, direct empirical evidence, just as the bottle as an artifact is evidence of the one who made it. Right? This reasoning, reasoning is very, very simple. For that reason... Ibn Taymiyyah, he used to say, or he used to cite this poetry, Right? 
he says that the mind, the mind itself it cannot, cannot be sound. There can be nothing sound in a person's mind if he wants evidence for the day. If you, if you want evidence that it's daytime. You know, if a person wants, if you want to be proved to me it's daytime, and it's daytime. Right, what, there can't be anything sound in the mind of that person who requires dalil, who wants evidence for something which is so apparent and evident to begin with. And likewise, in the poetry, وَفِي كُلِّ شَيْءٍ لَهُ آيَةٌ تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ وَاحِدٌ In every single thing, there is a sign which indicates or proves that He, meaning Allah, is one. That He, meaning Allah, is one. So everything that we see around us of the phenomena, and likewise in our own selves, then all of that is clear evidence of the existence of Allah. And that's why Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, وَتَأَمَّلْ حَالَ الْعَالَمِ Reflect upon the, the, the condition of the alam, كُلِّهِ all, all of the world, both the higher part of it and the lower part of it. In all of its parts, meaning you look at the sky, you look at what's upon the earth, you look at all the individual aspects of it as well. So for example, the sun by itself, the moon by itself, the phenomenon of rain by itself, and all the individual elements, and you will find all of it bearing witness to the affirmation of its maker, originator, and owner. And he says to reject its maker, it's similar to actually denying intellect itself. And denying the fitra. So meaning that if you if you deny a creator for everything that you see, it's the same as denying your intellect and your fitra. You might as well deny that you, you have a, a, a capacity known as aql, as intellect, right? You might as well deny that altogether. So to, to deny a creator is similar to denying reason. And uh, there's no difference between the two of them whatsoever. So the first thing that we want to start off with that you must understand. So what I want you to understand is... There's a certain way of understanding where the atheists are coming from and how they have constructed their system in a way to deceive you and to trick you into believing that what they have are certainties and what you have are fairy tales. When in fact it's the other way around. What you have are absolute certainties and what they have are fairy tales, conjectures, and which oppose reason, right? And so they've constructed a system by which to turn that into this and this into that. So the first point that we must understand is that the evidence for the existence of Allah is already established. Right? It's al-hujjatu qa'imah. The proof is already established. And there are many, many angles to this. So we want to, make, we want to be clear with that. We can spend a bit of time looking at just uh, a quick illustration, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, the word alam, the word alam, this word alam, alameen, with a fath, with a vowel, is similar to khatam, like a ring which, which is sealed, like sealed. He says, an alam is something by which something else is known. Just like a khatam is something by which something is sealed, right? So, an alam is a thing by which something else is known. Right? This is the meaning of the word alam. So when we say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of all of the alameen. This is referring to every type of creation. Every type of creation is an alam. Right? And through, that, through, through each individual alam, we come to know the creator. So for example, Humans are an alam. We are an alam. Right? Humans point to Allah Azawajal. The jinn are an alam. They are a world in themselves. The spiders are an alam. Elephants are an alam. The snakes are an alam. All of these, every species, every category is an alam. Every living creature is an alam. Every type or category. And so that alam, something is called an alam because it points to something else. It is a signpost to something else. So therefore, all of the alameen, they are evidence for the Lord of the alameen. Just the mere existence of the alameen is a proof for the Lord of the alameen. And that's why we see um, 
in the Quran, kulli shay. He is the Lord of every single thing in Surah uh, Al-An'am verse 164. Such is your Lord, such is Allah, the, the, the Lord of your Lord. There is none worthy of worship except He, the creator of every single thing. So every single thing is an evidence for the existence of Allah because it is an effect from the athar, from the effects of His power. Right? Just like we say that this bottle is from the athar, from the effects, from the effects of the power and the knowledge and the will and the wisdom of the person who brought the other or the people or the company who brought this bottle who, who, who made it to be so everything that we see is an athar is an effect of the athar of the maker and the owner of that thing right so the sun and the moon and the precise timings by which they operate year in year out exactly they, they, they do not deviate by seconds you know, from, from their appointed uh, courses. And likewise, everything else that we see and observe, all of that is a clear evidence of the, that, that, that it is an athar, which then traces back to the attributes of Allah. So now Ibn Taymiyyah, he then elaborates a bit more upon this proof. He says that when we just look in the creation and we see, for example, how there are no plants, and then all of a sudden there are plants, right? So for example, if you look at Saudi Arabia now, right? The greenery is coming back, right? The mountains are just hard rock. No single, you can't see any greenery anywhere. All of a sudden, for hundreds of miles now, you are seeing just greenery propping up out in the desert, you know, where there's, you know. So we, when we look, we see things coming to be and things disappearing. Things coming to life and things dying. Whether plants, Animals, he says, the emergence of animals, plants, minerals, rain and clouds and the likes. We see them every day from non-existence coming into existence. And we know that therefore these things are clearly originated. They are muhdath, muhdath. Something which came to be after not being. Right? He says, this is something which is elementary knowledge. It's the most basic elementary knowledge. So once... We establish that these things are muhdath, they have come to be, they are originated, then by necessity they need a muhdith, a muhdith, one who originated them, right? Similar to, I, I know that this bottle did not exist, this, this specific bottle did not exist five years ago, right? It came to be after not being. And I know by necessity, therefore, if it is muhdath, Therefore, it must have a muhdith, one who originated it, right? This reasoning is flawless. You cannot, you cannot argue against this reasoning. It is sound reasoning, right? So, he says, Ibn Taymiyyah says that, you know, we see all these things happening around us, life, death, recycle, and this is something that Allah mentions in the Quran all the time to us about uh, the clouds and the rain, reviving the earth, which is dead, Right, human reproduction, how you did not exist and then you came to exist. All these events that we see, we constantly see life, death, rebirth, existence, non-existence coming to be in cycles all the time around us. He says this is clear evidence that all these things are muhdath. Right? They are originated, they came to be after not being. And by necessity they require a muhdith. Now there are only four possible answers to explain what we see. There are only four possible answers to explain what we see. Right? Everything that we see around us, all of these phenomena. The first possible explanation is pure nothingness. Pure nothingness. So if you ask the question, if you address your child, you ask anybody, what is it that you know, makes the, the, the clouds appear, then disappear? What is it that makes the plants to grow and die and then to reappear? What is it that causes a person to be born and die through, you know, causes and whatever? What is it that's behind all of these things, that we, these phenomena that we see all the time? What's behind all of this? Then the first answer is 
pure nothingness. This is the first answer. The second answer is to say it is what they call nature. Tabi'a. It is tabi'a. It is, it is nature. The third thing is to say it is some other creation. Like, for example, aliens. Right? Some aliens or something like this. Some other intelligence. Or fourthly, it is a non-created eternal being. A non-created and uncreated eternal being. There are only four options to explain what we see. Pure nothingness, nothing, tabi'a, which is just what they call nature, or it is some other life form, like aliens, or it is an, uh, an eternal, uncreated being. So now let's address each of these four situations. As for the first, pure nothingness, then we know this is, this, this is uh, impossible. This is impossible because reason tells us this is impossible. What, what is nothing cannot bring anything else into existence. Nothing cannot create anything. Nothing cannot generate anything. And because, you know, Ibn Taymiyyah says here, um, he says the occurrence of newly arisen entities or events, meaning things that happen that we see happening, all the events that we see happening in, in, in the world, right, natural events or, you know, things like this. He says, for these to happen without an originator, for them to happen without a richer is, is known to be futile by reason. Our uncle knows this is false. Our uncle knows this is false. And he says, this is so firmly entrenched in the, in the offspring of Adam. Right? To such a degree that even children, if, you, if a child was struck, meaning if someone hit a child, and then he said, who hit me? And you said, no one struck you. Right? The child's reason wouldn't accept, even a little child wouldn't accept that argument that, not, that nothing struck him. Right? Even a child would reject that. So that's why, because a child knows that a strike cannot take place without a fa'il, without a darib. Right? Can't take place, simply impossible. And so likewise, if someone said that it was acceptable for a piece of writing or a construction or a plant and their likes to appear without an originator, then to intelligent people he would either be insane, insane, or he is a sophist. A sophist. A sophist is one who uses futile, false, deceptive, flowery arguments. Right? So the only two possibilities. Either you are mad, you are insane, or you are a sophist. A sophist is deliberately using false argument arguments. To hide and confuse the truth. Right? And this is what the people today, the atheists, they are sophists in what they in the way that they argue. So he says, they are like the person who rejects the most elementary, the most basic of, of sciences and the most necessary types of knowledge. Right? So the first, that nothing is behind everything that we see, right? The causes of the sun and the moon and everything behind biological life. Right, the, the complexity of well, to say nothing is behind it, then this this is the saying of insane or mad people, mad people or sophists, right? Who use deliberately false argumentation. So we can dismiss that one from the very beginning. The second argue, the second reason that you can bring, second explanation, is basically uh, to say, well, it's nature. It's nature that is behind everything, and so when we speak about nature, we are speaking about you know. Uh, all the particles, forces, the causes, effects. But you have to think carefully here that this is not the right answer to the question. So when they say it's nature, they're answering a different question. Let me explain to you with an example. If I said to you, if, if, there's, if there's a cash machine and a cash machine is giving out cash, if you are able to explain to me exactly how that cash machine is working, this isn't an explanation of how. This is answering the question of how. It's not answering the question of who, what, or why. Do you understand, right? There's who, what, and why, and there's how. So when you explain to me how a cash machine works, or a 3D printer how it works, 
or how photosynthesis in a plant works, or how the liver works, or how the brain works, you are answering the question of how. You're not answering the question of who, what, and why. Do you understand the difference? Right? So when they say it's nature, that doesn't answer the question. Right? It's like saying, I've explained how the engine of a car works, and so therefore I've now explained how the car came to be. You haven't. You haven't. You've just explained the causes and the effects and the mechanisms and how they're all tied together to function in the way that they function. Right? You've explained the how. You've answered the question of how. You haven't answered the question of who, what, and why. Right? Which is what we're this is what we're answering here. Right? Who, what, and why? Whatever. So, so the point being that how nature works is not an answer to our question. And that's why Ibn Taymiyyah, he answers, he says, a thing cannot bring itself into existence. Because either something occurs which brings it into existence, or it will remain non-existent. Right? So in other words, this bottle can't bring itself into existence. A leaf can't bring itself into existence. A rock can't bring itself into existence. A cloud can't bring itself into existence. Everything which is in nature, it can't bring itself into existence. Right? It needs something outside of it to bring it into existence. And he says that uh, if something therefore comes to exist, then it came to exist on account of something else outside of it. Otherwise, if something can exist by itself, then it, it, it would be obligatory. This thing would be eternal. It would always be there. But it's not. Right? So, so this means that when they say nature is the answer, this is really a type of deception. Because they're not answering the question of who and what and why brought it about. They are simply answering the question of how does nature function? How do clouds appear? Well, it's because of such and such. How does photosynthesis take place in a leaf? Because of such and such. Right? How does, this, how does that work? It, because of such and such. They're answering the question of how. And that's not an answer to the question. So nature cannot explain, cannot explain the, the origination. Right? You're just simply speaking about ways and means and whatever else. And also there are some refutations of all of this. Anyway, four points against the argument by nature. First point is that matter is always inorganic, meaning it doesn't have life. And matter always is dead. You can't get life from non-life. This is a rule. right? Life can never come from non-life. Life always comes from life. right? If you look at all of biological life, it always comes from biological life. It cannot come from non-life. right? So if there's only matter, life cannot come from dead matter. right? Unconscious matter. Number two, matter itself is not rational. It can't think. It can't, it doesn't have any self-awareness. It can't develop information. It can't develop the idea of information. It doesn't have a will. It doesn't have a direction. It doesn't have a choice. There's no such concept in, in, <clears throat> in matter. Number three, so matter is not rational. Number three, matter doesn't have, doesn't, doesn't have a will. It can't pursue goals and objectives. Matter can't decide, right, I'm going to turn into a molecule which has embedded information. Matter doesn't choose or have goals which it pursues. It, it, it can't pursue, uh, uh, you know, it can't have a will, it can't pursue goals, and it can't have objectives. Number four, random interactions of matter cannot produce, you know, uh, 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 an organized intelligible universe which we can investigate and make sense of right just random interactions do not have the power to to do that let's just stay on this point a bit more because there's another principle so i mentioned you one principle life can only come from life life never comes from non-life this is a, a, a rule no one can no one can contest this rule it's, it's not it's not deniable it's an it's a rule life only ever comes from life Another rule is, right, so, so to explain this rule, let me explain to you first of all that before anything comes to be, 
take this bottle again as an example. What gave rise to this bottle is knowledge, will, wisdom and power. Right? There has to be these attributes before anything comes to be. This means that before, when anything physical is going to be made into a creation, then it has to be preceded by thoughts and ideas, right? Which represent knowledge, will, wisdom and power, right? So which way does the arrow go? The arrow goes from thoughts and ideas to physical. Yes? Is that right? Do you, are you with me? Do you, are you following? Right? Wh which way does the arrow go? The arrow goes... There has to be knowledge and that will flow in the direction of physical objects. Very, very simple. A washing machine. What did that start off as? Idea. Some idea in someone's mind, right? Along with knowledge, will, wisdom. Wisdom meaning for a reason, for a purpose. Knowledge, the knowledge. Will, the choice to do so. And power, the ability to do so, right? So these four attributes. The, the, direct, the arrow only goes in this way. It does not go in that way. It doesn't go from matter... And then go to abstract ideas, things which are thoughts in the mind. Do you understand? Right? So it, the, the, the flow of, is always from this direction to that direction. There is never, ever, ever any single evidence, nor can there be, that the flow of direction is in the opposite way. Right? So meaning, what we mean by this is, and again we're sticking on this answer of nature being the answer, Right? You can't just suddenly have matter and then all of a sudden you have an alphabet. Well, you just can't have an alphabet from just matter. Do you understand? You can only have an alphabet if there's now a third party in existence to whom that alphabet makes sense. Do you understand? Right? So like if I had, if I had let's say 26 letters of the, uh, of the English alphabet and I just threw them randomly Right, imagine these are particles now. These are particles. And let's just say randomly, so imagine there's no one in existence. No existence. But let's, let's just say there's millions of these particles. Each one is a, a letter of the alphabet. And all of a sudden, due to random interactions, all of a sudden, there's a, there's a, a sentence produced which says something like, you know, um, you know, fresh green juice is, is delicious or something. Right, just randomly produces whatever. That is not information because it's just random. Because nobody exists to make sense of that information. So, so matter cannot produce information. It can only be information to one to whom that is information, if you understand. Right? So now like, if, we, if we developed a code, someone developed the, the binary code, ones and zeros, yeah? You know that, yeah? The binary code is one and a zero. And by using... Um, certain number of bits you can represent letters of the alphabet right one zero 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 one zero one zero whatever and you can generate that only makes sense because there's already some people with thought intelligence who've, who've devised that, that language that, that alphabet yes makes sense doesn't it yeah so what I'm saying but what I'm, what I'm illustrating to you is that the, the arrow does not flow in the reverse direction you cannot have just matter and then all of a sudden you've got, you've got a language, you've got information, right? And this is the biggest problem that they have today in trying to solve this problem, right? In, you know, in, in, in genetics, biology, evolution, whatever, is now they've realized, because remember the stages in their disbelief, the stages in their disbelief. The first is just the, the arrogant disbelief, you know, yes, life is just so simple, cells are just blobs and, you know, it's possible for life just to come together and whatever, yeah? And as they continue to study and realize that, hang on, wait a minute, it's not as simple as that anymore. It's a bit more complicated now. And now we're realizing these cells kind of operating a bit like, you know, computers and information systems or whatever, and sequences, right? So then they realize there's a, there's a DNA sequence in the, in, in the cells. And then they believe, well, this looks like to be a kind of uh, uh, code for proteins and whatever. Then as they go further, they realize, hold on, uh, actually... It's, 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 it's like a database which has many layers which can be read forwards and backwards. So the DNA can be read forwards and backwards. So like imagine someone wrote a book which can be read forwards and backwards at the same time. And it, 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 it's meaningful. Right? So now they will hold on a minute. Now 
this is information. Now, where did information come from? Because, because like, just like if I say to you, right, you can see sentences on this paper. Can I explain that by way of the ink in the paper? See, see, see this text. This has a message, right? Has a meaning. Can I explain that away just by the ink in the paper? I can't, can I? Because the information is not the medium, right? The paper and the ink can't explain the information. The information comes from somewhere else. Do you understand, right? So they have this big, big problem now in 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 um, you know bio, in biology and evolution, which they're trying to explain where does information come from. And obviously, to us, it's it's very clear. It's apparent, you know. Ilm and khalq is binding. Ilm and khalq. The one creation implies knowledge. Right? And uh, from the names of Allah, Al Khalaqul Alim. At the end of Surah Yasin, He is the, the great creator, the all the knowing creator. Knowledge and creation are binding. Right? So, so what we are saying here is random interactions of matter and nature cannot do not lead to. Um, alphabets the, the, the DNA itself the way DNA works is there's multiple levels so like you've got on this piece of paper you've got a letter one letter then you've got a word then you've got a sentence then you've got a paragraph in the DNA there's exactly the same thing right so an individual letter is a nucleotide nucleotide it's like one base nucleotide right then you have uh, sorry, it's a character, yeah, character, which is a nucleotide. Then you have a letter which is a codon, which consists of three nucleotides in the DNA. Then you have a word which is basically a gene. A gene is a word. Then you've got a sentence which is called an operon. And then you've got a whole paragraph which is called, uh, they call it a, regul a regulon. Anyway, so, I mean, do you need any more evidence or any more proof than this? You know, like what, what they are seeing here is no different to what the people of the past would see of the miracles shown to them by the prophets. Right? When these people are seeing and studying these things and in front of their eyes, in front of their faces, they are seeing these things. This is like, this is like, like the miracles that the people of the past would see. The hujjah is already established. We're not debating about any hujjah. The hujjah is already established. We're just looking at your sophistry and the way you've constructed a system by which to deceive mankind. And how do we tear that apart and how do we make sense of it? That's what the issue is. This, isn't, this is not even an issue because the existence of Allah is so apparent and manifest that you have to be insane or a sophist to deny it. Right? So anyway, the point being here, this is, we, are, we are refuting the second possible argument, the, uh, which, which is nature. Right, so for all these reasons, it can't be nature. Nature doesn't have intelligence, doesn't have a will, doesn't have a goal, doesn't have a direction. It can't produce anything which is organized, intelligible. Right, and the principle always is from thought and ideas to physicality. We see all around us the construction of airplanes, of washing machines, of things like that. It always comes from knowledge and it leads in that direction towards physicality, to a physical thing. It's never the other way around. Never the other way around. It's impossible the other way around. Right? You can't... Just random matter cannot produce languages, <coughs> words, letters, and, you know, the whole, the whole system of programming and coding. And uh, it, it doesn't work that way. It's impossible. And for them, to, to, for them to, to claim that, they have to prove it in a lab. Prove to me in a lab that the direction is in that way. Right? From matter, and it leads to abstract ideas and then coding, languages, whatever. Prove to me in a lab, random example, and show to me that you can do it. You'll never do it. Uh, this is a scientific method, right? You can't do it. You need to prove that for the rest of you, the whole of your, you know, your, 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 your view about everything, for that to be, to be scientifically valid. And you can't do it. Flow is always from knowledge, will, wisdom, and power in that direction to physicality. It's not the other way around, right? It never works that way. So for these reasons, number two is out. Nature is out. Yes, is that clear? Number three, the only other way that you can come back to explain is basically like what Richard Dawkins said when really pushed in a corner. 
He said, well, possibly it could be maybe some aliens who came. It's a possibility that it could be some aliens from somewhere else and they came and they seeded life. So really all you're doing here is you're pushing the problem one, one, one further back. It's like dominoes. There's one domino at the end. You say, okay, let me just put another one behind it. And then you bring another one behind it and you keep going. You're not solving the problem, right? So to say that it's aliens... Right, so mean, meaning that you've had to admit that there has to be some sort of intelligence, there has to be knowledge, will, wisdom, power. You've come to that point, but then your arrogance is dismissing the, the other possibility and saying, oh, it could be some aliens who themselves appeared by way of evolution. So what you're doing is you're now pushing the problem further, back further one more step. You haven't really answered the question, you're evading the question, right? So this, this, the, the, this third answer really is what we call a chain of endless causes a chain of endless causes because then you have to go back and say well those aliens themselves must have come from some other aliens and those aliens must have come from some other aliens and then you have to keep going eventually in a big cycle in eternity and you're never going to stop this is what we call this is called تسلسل العلل والمؤثرات والفاعلية what it simply means is that you are, you're just building an endless eternal chain of causes, right? This was caused by that, that was caused by that. You go back in eternity. Or, you know, uh, endless chain of creators. So this clearly cannot be correct. This is not an answer to the question. This only leaves the fourth possibility, which is an uncreated eternal being that is unoriginated and which is, differs from his creation in essence and attributes. And this is Allah Azawajal. And this is, brings us nicely to the ayah in the Qur'an which embodies this, this, this form of argumentation. أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Were they created by nothing? That's the first of the four answers. أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Or are they themselves the creators? أَمْ خَلَقُوا السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بَلَّا يُوقِنُونَ Or did they create the heavens and the earth? But no, they have no certainty. Right, so this is just a, a simple demonstration of the fact of the fact that Allah's existence is already clear, it is established, it is evident, and no one really in history denied the existence of Allah except for a number of people, of the great tyrants. So what we'll do inshallah is we'll stop at this point and we'll pray Isha, and if you're happy to continue, we'll continue. Uh, with the topic afterwards inshallah